In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hour two of the Chuck Oliver Show kicks off right now. Appreciate Dave Bartu coming on. It's a Tuesday. It's always going to be Dave year-round right now, though. There's still, there are still multiple openings to be head coach in Division One, and there are still some of the jobs you really want. Uh, yes, it is FIU, which it appears there's a chance that, that Butch Davis, close personal friend of mine, now I say that about a lot of people, he actually kind of is, um, but he did Kirby Smart a solid on the way out the door. Scorched earth. And if that is driving away a candidate, for instance, like Dan Lanning, who uh, Dan Matthews was telling me in the break, had texted one of his contacts and was like, yeah, don't expect that to happen, man. Not for that job. Well, it was that clarification. It was for FIU. You know, he ain't going for that job. I've always said, and it was Jim McElwain at first, you want a job, you want the job. Because it was, I think, San Jose State maybe came knocking first, and then it was Colorado State. You can win at Colorado State. Steve Adazio couldn't, but but when I say you, I mean, that's like a collective. I mean, like Jay Norvell, I believe he will win at Colorado State. But uh, Oregon is still open, and Virginia is still open. I'm going to say Duke is still open, and it's an ACC school and a fun place to live, and you'll have, I don't know, about as good a health insurance as any head coach in America. I don't know what, maybe Bill Clark has real good. Any place with a medical center like that? And you're right there on campus? Man. I mean, if you're at Clemson, you get milkshakes. Okay? Have I told y'all that? Between the ages of two and seven, I lived in Anderson, which is about as far off 85 one way as Clemson is the other way, about 10 minutes. And Clemson's found dairy science. And so they had Clemson's cows. uh, And every Sunday... My dad load us up in the uh, Vista Cruiser and take us over to campus. And on campus, Clemson would be dealing out milkshakes. Best milkshake you ever had in your life uh, from Clemson Cows. Um, So while that's awesome, again, if you're at Duke, there are other advantages maybe a little more valuable than a rock-solid A-plus milkshake. So those jobs are still open, which means – Virginia is a head coach being plucked. Colorado State was a head coach being plucked. Virginia's a head coach being plucked. Oregon probably Oregon might be your head coach, depending on who you are. Being plucked. So so there's still a lot going on, and Dave is very, very busy. Coming up in about 10, Eddie Radosevich going to talk uh, Sooners. Uh, he is from the Rivals Network. We've had him on before. Uh, good stuff from Eddie, and so we will talk in uh, OU because they have a head coach now in Brent Venables. I do not know, and I checked, uh, as a matter of fact, I checked maybe 20 minutes before, half hour before I went on the air and had not seen anything about Venables uh hiring staff yet or at least announcing staff uh but we know man i'll just cruise through some of these mario cristobal has been hired and he is in the process uh at miami process of putting together a a staff there Dabo facing uncertainty now potentially going to lose both his coordinators within about three or four days and maybe his athletic director 
Uh, did you see his quote? He was asked about, uh, are you happy with the state of college football? Quote, no. I think there's a lot of unintended consequences right now. It seems that the protective bubble that the Clemson, not Dabo, I'm saying the Clemson program had existed in almost a fairy tale state. Do you remember that it was, I think it was two and a half calendar years. Do you remember what Clemson did not have for two and a half years? A decommit. My goodness. Speaking of decommits, uh, Cristobal announces he's going to Miami. Oregon has lost their top three commits. One, two, and three in the Oregon class have decommitted. Doesn't mean they're not going to go there. It means they're not going to announce right now they're going there and signing is in about two weeks. Uh, Oklahoma with Brent Venables coming on board, a five-star defensive tackle prospect, says I'm going to Texas A&M. Marcus Freeman, if you didn't see his uh, introductory press conference, he is now officially the Irish head coach, et cetera. So we got a lot to talk about. Uh, and the Heisman finalists were announced, three of them. And I mean this. You're on scholarship to play college football, and you're really good, and you're almost certainly going to have some financial success, at least in the NFL, and you're a Heisman finalist. Bryce Young's winning that thing. That's just how it is. There can't be – if Kenny Pickett's mom – has been covering college football for 40 years as a member of the media. I don't know anything about Kenny Pickett's mom. She ain't voting for Kenny. She's not. That's Bryce Young's award. And so Alabama, after going 120 years about, of being maybe as good a program, or no, the best program in college football for more than a century, and never having a Heisman from the time it was introduced in the 30s, I think, till all the way up till Mark Ingram. And they're about to have another. And he is going to be a quarterback, and that kid is an absolute magician. So, it's, you know, Aiden Hutchinson and everybody else is fantastic, um, but he's going to win, and then somebody else will finish second. Uh, we're going to break, come back, and uh, talk Oklahoma. King of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now, more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. You better watch out. There you is something about walking the walk, about actually putting together a life resume that will hold up to questions and scrutiny at least uh i mentioned earlier manny diaz put out a statement yesterday i'm disappointed with how this played out and then i read his statement from december three years ago hey temple really sorry about how this played out um you know manny he's an adult he can act however he chooses but it just doesn't have a lot of credence when he talks about there's a right way to do something brent venables showed up in norman oklahoma yesterday talking about loyalty says, I'm a simple guy. Value some things that maybe other people don't. Uh, I value people, relationships, quality of life, loyalty, etc. And Brent Venables had turned down job after job after job after job. He had stayed with Dabo for a decade. Now, I'm not Nell walking out of the woods after 30 years. Oh, wow. You know, I, I understand how the adult world works. Part of this was strategic. Part of it was loyalty. And as kids and, you know, everything, playing Clemson and everything else. Part of it was like Tom Herman. 
Do you remember when he started? He started 13-1 and one in Houston, didn't he? His first season. And he turned down, I want to say it was South Carolina maybe, and I heard all of this fairy tale about Tom Hearn, what a special guy. He turned down South Carolina. He's not bolting after one year. I was like, no, guys, he's waiting for Texas. That's all he's doing. He's waiting for what, Dan? There were loose rumors that he had reached out to Georgia before they hired Kirby. Exactly. If it was a better job, Nothing he'd confirmed, have gone. But yeah. All right, Billy Napier, special guy staying at uh, Louisiana. No, he would rather coach at Florida than Mississippi State. So would Dan Mullen. Brent Venables, though, the head coach, and he's talking about loyalty. Like I said, he's kind of lived that. I uh, want to reach out now. Um, oh, always outside of the footprint of the SEC, um, it takes something for us to really devote some time and get a guest on. And Oklahoma is one of those programs that is certainly worth it. want to welcome on now from Sooner Scoop, part of that Rivals Network. It is Eddie Radosevich. Eddie, welcome back, man. How you doing? Gentlemen, good afternoon. It is for the first time in, I think, about nine days. Uh, there's nothing going on in Oklahoma, and that's a good thing because they uh, they finally found their head coach. They did, Brent Venables, and I was told last week that out of all the list of candidates, even tremendous candidates that other schools would love to have, there's only one name that Sooner fans, for whatever that matters, there's one name that it would almost check 100% of the boxes, and it was Brent Venables. Uh, was that your belief as well? And then talk about the reception so far. Yeah, it, it's been uh, it, it's kind of insane the way that, uh, you know, Brent Venables has returned to Norman. There was thousands of people out at the airport on Sunday night to greet uh, him and his family in a plane that got back at about 945. Uh, they had a public pep rally Monday morning, followed by his first press conference. And, you know, I, I think the one word, and it's come up with alumni that have played, alumni that went to the school, obviously, and fans. Uh, it's almost like it's a reinvigorated fan base, and it's a fan base that, we talked about a couple weeks ago that was 10 and two. I mean, they're coming off of a 10 and two season and it's a fan base that I think has a little bit of new life. Uh, You know, president Harris even uh, made a comment. We talked to him at the board of regents meeting a week ago, uh, talking about alumni that had been reinvigorated donors that had been reinvigorated. And I think that because of the way that Lincoln Riley left town, I think there's a little bit of betrayal uh, there amongst the Oklahoma fan base and to turn to a guy that, you know, obviously has his ties back to the program, uh, close to Bob. Uh, you know, I, I think that when everything went down a week ago Sunday, uh, Brent Venable's name was the first name that came out of a lot of people's mouths, yep. and uh, they kind of got their way. And it's going to be interesting as he enters his uh, first year now as the head man at Oklahoma, just, you know, completing a staff, getting out onto the recruiting trail. You know, right now Oklahoma might be looking on the inside of the top 25 or from the outside of the top 25 in the uh, recruiting rankings. And uh, that's a little bit of unfamiliar territory for Oklahoma fans. So he has a lot of work to do here in the, in the next week before, uh, you know, the early national signing day. Yeah. I thought it was uh, absolutely on point. He understands what it is to be a head coach. He was like, hi, it's great to be back in Norman. I want Caleb Williams to stay. Um, that was kind <laughs> of how it went. Um, your uh, scouting report handicapped this for us. Yeah, you know, it, it obviously you can talk about any of the recruits in the uh, in the 2022 class, and they lost a five-star defensive tackle last night. Uh, Gabe Dindy, he flips to uh, Texas A&M. But at the same time, uh, you know, recruiting some of the players that are currently in the locker room is his most important job right now, and he's obviously out onto uh, the recruiting trail right now. I think he was in uh, Tulsa. He's, he's doing some local stops yesterday, but I think he's up in Nebraska uh, today. But, yeah, I mean, his first call had to have been to Caleb Williams, and that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. 
everybody from inside the program right now believes that Caleb Williams is going to at least finish out the semester and then uh, kind of see where things lie after that. I think the offensive coordinator hire is going to be important and kind of integral to uh, to keeping uh, Caleb Williams and Norman. I, you know, by all means and by all uh, you know indication right now, it seems like the Jeff Levy thing should be done at some point today. It sounded like it was close last night. Uh, a former player at Oklahoma, obviously the offense coordinator for Lane Kiffin over at Ole Miss. And if they can keep him around, I, there's some belief that they think that they can keep Caleb Williams on campus for the next few years. And uh, that would be a major win for Oklahoma and certainly Brent Venables as he gets underway. Anybody else you would handicap as far as the OC hire or the pursuit? I mean, it, it sounds like that is all intents and purposes right now are kind of focused on Jeff Levy. I, I, he was telling people, uh, you know, kind of on his side of things that Oklahoma is a job that he's wanted for a while uh, or at least an opportunity to be able to come back to Norman and coach. He has uh, some, uh, I, I guess, some some connection back to Brent Venables. He actually ran Brent's uh, scout team uh, back when Venables was in Norman the first time around. So, uh I, I would be surprised if we close the business hours today and that thing isn't done. The interesting thing to me, and like I said, I don't know a whole lot. I don't deep dive into the recruiting um, until about two weeks from now but because um, I got season and games and such. But it, it, it was interesting to me that a five-star defensive tackle, he's the guy who decommitted from OU. Um, did he not see Brent Venable's resume? I, I, I don't know if it's as much as not seeing Brent Venable's resume as much as it is. I think that his position coach – Calvin Thibodeau man, it might not be retained. And he obviously had a great relationship with Calvin. Uh, you know, Calvin's a former Oklahoma player uh, that was around for the Venables years. I, I don't really know, uh, you know, what exactly happened mm-hmm. there. A&M was uh, the school that Oklahoma picked. He picked Oklahoma over the first time around. So, uh, you know, I think that they're probably going to still try to make a run at Gabe Dindy here over the next week. I don't know if they're going to do an in-home, but uh, you know, I, I certainly think that he'll be allowed to kind of give his spiel. Uh, you know, there's some early indications that maybe Venables would try to bring Todd Bates in from Clemson, uh, the defensive tackles coach. Yep. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I think that, you know, this is kind of the first time for everything for uh, Brent Venables as he uh, undergoes being the head coach and putting the staff together. But that's something he's asked about yesterday at his initial press conference. And, you know, he said that this is something that you always have in the back of your mind. Uh, when you think about becoming a head coach. So it's kind of it's kind of fun for the first time to be covering a coaching search and not really know which way they're going to go. Wrapping up with Eddie Radosevich again, Sooner Scoop, part of that Rivals Net- Network, also morning show out yonder, uh, fran- and franchise Oklahoma. Want to uh, wrap up with two questions for you about each staff. One, anybody from Oklahoma, and I've, I've, I've got a policy, like I'm keeping at least one coach to help me navigate things, um, but anybody from the OU staff that you would say, yeah, betting favorite, he stays with Venables on, on Venables staff? and anybody that you're going to bet uh, definitely comes from Clemson. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I, the guys that are staying from the Oklahoma staff, I think there's, uh, I, I guess I'm going to have to talk this out. I think there's five uh, or four of them that are going to stay around. They're all Oklahoma guys. DeMarco Murray, the running back coach. Mm-hmm. Kel Gundy, a longtime Oklahoma yeah. assistant that played at Oklahoma. He's been here for 25 years. Uh, Bill Biedenbo, the offensive line coach, is expected to stay around. And then Joe John Finley, who's the tight ends coach, who was also best friends with Jeff Levy. So there's that connection there back to uh, back to Levy. And then from uh, 
Clemson, I, I, we're really not sure. We're kind of working on that this morning. Uh, it sounds like, you know, there, there are some early indications that Todd Bates would be interested in joining Brent Venables. They have a good relationship. And we've also heard rumors of one other guy, but we can't put our finger on who exactly it would be. It would be more of like a Chiefs of Staff type guy. For, uh, for Brent as he starts this new endeavor. So I think it's going to come together. It obviously, time is of the essence. It's kind of like the Oklahoma hire of Brent Venables. They need to put a staff together so those guys can get back out onto the recruiting trail and try, try and close out this uh, 2022 class before everything closes uh, next Wednesday and the dead period starts over the holiday season. Eddie, just spot-on stuff, man. Thanks as always. Uh, appreciate the time, man. Absolutely. Anytime. Talk to you Eddie Radosevich again. He got blue checks. I know it's him. Um, You can get him on Twitter at Eddie underscore R-A-D-O. Eddie Radosevich again. Sooner Scoop. Also morning host uh, drive out there in Norman. Um, Yeah, he's got to fill out staffs. And it's what we were talking about with Dave Bartu in hour one, that there are 10 spots. There may be as many as four or five who stay. And DeMarco Murray is actually a guy who has – he's built a very quick reputation as a guy that the running backs connect with. I'll put it that way. Um, so, um, and that's, by the way, that's, that's, it, it's, 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 it, everything is completely complimentary about him. I wouldn't just like, I'll put it that way. Like in the old days when it was pre name image likeness, then that would have actually <laughs> kind of carried, uh, some sort of undertone with it. Now there's no need for that. Did you see, what was the, um, did I see it was an Oregon booster that's going to $50,000 a year to every offensive lineman? Is that – I think it was Oregon that I saw that. Texas. Oh, Texas. Texas. Pan- yeah, the pancakes that's, or something. That's yeah. exactly what it was, $50,000. Folks, it used to be in an envelope in the, in the glove box of the Escalade. Now it's just a piece of paper that they sign. So, anyway, um, that's – I'm glad you brought that one up. I, it reminded me it was Texas. Uh, we're going to break, come back, continue with the show next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. All right. In the interim of just talking about Oklahoma, I'm texting. Levy to Oklahoma. Send it twice. I got a probably and a done. So... We're going to break some news. I guess it looks like uh, Levy is heading now uh, out yonder um, and checking on Dan Lanning and where his interest is um, right now. As we said, it's been a huge day for uh, – and continues to be a huge day for coaching changes, but it's supposed to be mostly the hirings at this point, and that's supposed to be kind of wrapping up. Um, there's always an outlier. You're going to have a program – for instance, I was talking about Joe Moorhead earlier in the pro- program, and he just left his position as OC at Oregon, and he knew stuff was in the works, and, and he had options because he's good at his job. But he was OC at Oregon, and he's making like $1.1 million, and I think it was two weeks ago. I had heard that he was in line for Akron. I was like, that doesn't make sense to me, but I'll ask Dave Bart. It happened to me on a Tuesday, and so we had Dave on. I think it was two, uh, two weeks ago. And Dave's like, yeah, uh, that could happen, but understand here are all the factors. And he actually went through putting the numbers on. I looked at it from afar, and I was like, he'd take a big pay cut. That was as specific as I could get because I didn't feel like Googling. I was like, he probably makes a million a year, and he'll make half that. 
he was making 1.1, he's making 400,000. So he's taking about a 60 or 450. He's making a 60% pay cut to go from Oregon OC to Akron head coach. Could have had an opportunity, I suppose, to go to Miami, stay at Oregon, but he's nobody's assistant. And this is not um this is not criticism, folks. Because what this is for Moorhead is an opportunity to be head coach again, and then he believes back to power five. So it's sort of I'm going to, I'm going back to college. I'm gonna get my MBA. You know, when my, my my position was eliminated, I've been working in this company for X number of years. I'm gonna go back and get my MBA. Or I'm gonna get my real estate license. And you don't make any money while you're doing that. Uh, but you go back and try to position yourself for it. So so that's what Joe Moorhead is doing. And he is a Northeast Fordham, I think, was where he had a lot of his success, and then obviously Penn State. But he's going from he went from there to Starkville, boom. Oregon. And now from Oregon back to the middle of the country, and 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 it could be a big picture play there. But like I said, in the immediate, these are the numbers that I know. And God bless a guy uh, his age that has made a decent living for a few years and has the ability to do this. I mean that sincerely. But it is it is a bet on himself. And it, it the the only math that I can guarantee you, because it could be, well, I took a $600,000 a year pay cut for four years, and so that's 2.4, but then I got hired at $4.5 million per season, and so you make that up in like 15 months. If it's about the finances, if it is. And with Joe Moorhead, it may be about mm, things other than that. But um, the other thing that I was talking about with Dan Lanning and FIU, though, yeah, it uh, does appear that Butch Davis going scorched earth out the door uh, may have dissuaded Dan Lanning from at least pursuing that. So that is the good news, potentially. But there is there is a, there is a, a, a way that we didn't give Nick Saban nearly enough credit for the potential uh, excuse me for the performance of he and his coaching staff this past weekend i i think that this past saturday saban and his staff was even better than we have given them credit for so far it was the first time i believe saturday's game was the first time since probably 2008 that bama had a game plan where they called plays based on protecting the quarterback's health and I mean as the priority. And when I say it was protecting the quarterback, I'm going to protecting the quarterback's health. Because if Bryce Young, Heisman Trophy winner, is healthy and playing, you can beat anybody, which means you can beat Cincinnati and whoever wins in Miami and be national champs again. 2008, it was John Parker Wilson under center, and McElwain decided that time, all right, well, we just won't throw it. <laughs> I know how we can protect our quarterback. We won't call pass plays. Uh, no team in 2021 really has that option outside of like September non-conference stuff. And with Bama's only reasonable path to winning last weekend being Bryce throwing for 480, it makes what happened even more impressive. He's the Heisman winner. Saban just had another all-timer of a coaching moment. He and his staff, which he hired, which ultimately he gets credit for. 
every bit the same as making the Tua switch or making the Jalen switch, which you kind of had to, uh, or maybe the first to go all corners in the secondary publicly stating how much he hates pace. And then I think it was like three years later, leading the sec in place per game on their way to another title. Nick Saban is why other programs are giving 10-year contracts at $9.5 million per. He's the reason. Because stuff like this. Saturday's performance, the reason I went back and watched it, there were two-man routes. There were three-man routes. There were times where, because you got to, you know, your, your offensive line. It's your, your five, you know, your front seven. Really, all you got guaranteed and the rules make it this way, you're going to have a front five on offense. 1984, uh, Galen Hall down at Great Wall of Florida. One of my favorite nicknames in all of college football. Great Wall of Jeff, uh, Jeff Zimmerman, Crawford Kerr, Lomas Brown, Hall of Famer. Um, that's not really what Bama is talking about right now. And that's what it looked like on Saturday. Now, the reason I say it's not what Bama, it, it, they're talking about because Florida's often in any great offensive line that we, Bama's in 2012. You talk about the five. Do you know what it was for Bama the other day? The five plus the tight end, plus an extra tight end, plus maybe a running back. All right. Well, how many is that? Five, tight end six, other tight end seven, maybe the running back eight, the quarterback is nine. Dan, if I have eight in protection and the quarterback's nine, how many receivers do I get? You got two. He threw for 480 with some, not everyone and not even most, sometimes two players going on the route. Just amazing. Just amazing an entire game plan that had as its priority. If no, if the earth starts stops spinning on its axis, we will protect the quarterback, and this is how we're going to do it. And they figured it out. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back, wrap up on a Tuesday next. Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Over the past few days, I've spoken to a lot of leaders that I respect for any advice on being a first-time head coach. And the answer has all been the same. Just be you. Be Marcus Freeman. And if he's going to be Marcus Freeman, he's going to show up as the Notre Dame head coach because that's what he is right now. If you go back in time... 11 months ago, he was the Cincinnati defensive coordinator. If you go back not too much further than that, about five years ago, he was, quote, just a linebacker's coach. Um, so there you go, man. The guy played at Ohio State, was in the NFL-ish, practice squad, things like that. But he was in the NFL, and he knows what it's about. And so now he's the head coach uh, at Notre Dame. And the same thing, when you get a defensive-minded head coach – there's a headache that is inherent with that. Do you know what it is? Because you're not going to run the offense. When you hire Jimbo Fisher, Jimbo is Jimbo's offense. When you hire Lane Kiffin, who runs the offense? Lane Kiffin. All right. He and Levy got in a spitting match about the offensive line coach, and so Levy's leaving. Lane Kiffin's like, I wanted, I would like him to stay. I'm good. When you're a defensive minded head coach, 
You have to hire the guy who's really in charge of the offense. And then somebody wants to make him a head coach. So there is a built and, and nobody, and it's not that way with the defensive coordinators. It is so much rarer that the high profile DC is the, especially in 2021. I don't know if it's 60, 40 or 73, 27, but that's Marcus Freeman. And he is now the head coach at Notre Dame. Um, speaking of head coaches, and I'd mentioned this um, last week after Georgia tech does not deserve nearly the attention I give them, but where that program is right now at the end of its third season with Jeff Collins, it does not look like the end of anyone's third season. It looks like you just fired the coach and said, sorry about the mess you're inheriting. UTEP, I've talked about them. Literally the worst program over the history of Division I college football. Miners are in a bowl game. Western Kentucky is relatively new to Division One, and for most fans, about as nondescript as it gets in college football. It's Christmas in Boca for the Hilltoppers. Virginia's coach quit. Bowl game. Virginia Tech's coach got fired. Bowl game. South Carolina's got a first-year coach, almost no offensive talent. Bowl game. Go look at these programs that you could say, Georgia, what are you doing? Into your third season, you're trying to match the achievements of Liberty, East Carolina, and Georgia State. And in a season when not all conferences have been able to fill their slots, so bowls were looking for anybody that could fog a mare at six and six. And instead, you live with Syracuse, Duke, and FSU. End of your third season. And you look at the others involved. Duke is making a coaching change. Florida State has just made two. And Syracuse, the only other ACC team not going to a ball, Syracuse had to announce we will be bringing back our head coach. Jeff Collins? I don't know, man. Even with Saturday's outcome, things are way different up and across state. There was a number, though, that came out of the game Saturday, Georgia and Alabama, that I wanted to talk about because I have seen the exact same stat from the SEC championship game, exact same number used as two different explanations. Let me help. Here is the number. Stetson Bennett, when pressured, and I'm not, this is no editorial on me. I'm just giving facts here. I'm reading from a driver's license. Stetson Bennett, when pressured. Now, that's not when blitzed, because you may blitz and not get home. If you blitz and don't get there, it's not a pressure. And Georgia, especially, they line up in an odd front, so they're, they're sending somebody every time, practically. So, but when there's pressure... Stetson Bennett when pressured, one for 10, 11 yards, one interception. Stetson Bennett when kept clean, 28 of 38, 329, and three touchdowns. Now, I have seen that stat used to make two separate, like completely opposite points. The first one is in defense of Stetson, we'll see. You protect him, he can can lead you to victory. And then I have seen the second one, which is 
All you got to do is pressure him. And you have cracked that code. Folks, here's the reality. That stat does not explain away an inadequacy. It is the inadequacy. The place you have to get to as a championship quarterback is when the defense blitzes, they're doing you a favor. If you are a championship quarterback, that's where everybody, every single quarterback, here comes the heat, where's the opportunity? They look at it like a buffet. Where's it coming from? All right, there's the hole. When the defense blitz Bennett on Saturday, that play was done. It was determined at that point. It is the biggest advantage a quarterback can have because it's a choice that the defense really doesn't get to make. Here is a must on defense. Unless you want to slow play it and lose, on defense, if you're not getting to the quarterback, you have to send another. Well, how many are, am I sending already? I don't. I didn't ask. If you're not getting to the quarterback, you have to send another one. All right, well, we didn't get there. Send another. Now, at some point, you will kind of run out of players. But I'm talking in a window here. And if you're like Georgia, I said they line up in an odd front. If you have three, three linemen, you're sending a fourth. And that's almost every single play. So let's just say, all right, so they're sending a fourth. Well, they didn't get there. Send a fifth. I can't, I, this, is, this is when you start to get dangerous. We're not getting there. Send a sixth. Because what's your choice? Folks, you only have to ch- – see, this is the great thing about football. You run out of choices pretty quickly. You can either run or pass. Defensively, do you know the only choices you have as a D.C.? You can call pressure. You can call coverage. Tell me you want to call coverage against Bryce Young. Tell me that we're sending three, but we're really going to send a fourth. Oh, we didn't get there. Let's send a fifth. Oh, we didn't get there. Mm, too risky. To, we'll just keep sending five, even though we're not getting there. Against Bryce Young? That's what I'm saying. The great thing about you quickly run out of choices. And when it comes to pass rush, I'm telling you, almost as 11th commandment as it can be, if you're not getting there, you have to send another. And the best quarterbacks know it. And they use that against you, and you are doing them a favor the more heat you bring. And Stetson Bennett is not that guy. Now, I can't swear to you that JT Daniels is that guy because here's what I know about JT Daniels. For whatever it's worth, he was in the pocket and took a hit, ripped up his knee. And he's continued to get injured. So so how he reacts to pressure, I can't tell you. I haven't seen enough. I saw enough on Saturday with, with Stetson Bennett. And so for anyone using that number... Stetson Bennett, yeah, Stetson Bennett, when pressured, he was one for 10. You need to protect him, and that is true. But championship quarterbacks understand in football there's going to be pressures. It's just how often. And when you decide, all right, we're going to bring more heat, that's when I got you. And on Saturday's field, I mean, what was it, a 17-point final? All right, I've got the Heisman winner quarterback. You've got a guy that – the players and the coaches, they all know what's going on at practice, but I've got a Heisman Trophy winner on one side at quarterback, and I've got a guy who was a walk-on and then transferred back from Jones. And that's the resume, and it has nothing to do with him being on the field on Saturday and how he played. But it does put it into perspective.
So there's your difference on Saturday. What up, Dan? I just want to continue this because I do have a couple of things that I wanted to add. And I did go back and watch the game. And I think with Stetson Bennett, it's a situation of it's not your fault. Like, you are who you are, and you're giving the best effort you can, and you are making plays, but it's also, too, at the same time, Chuck, you can't tell me with some of the defensive miscues in the way that that defense played on Saturday. Now, I get it. Some people are going to say they finally faced a real quarterback. Fine. Great. That's awesome. You finally faced a really good offense. Same deal. But you cannot tell me that some of these things were at least, if nothing else, creeping into the back of minds into some of these defensive backs. We can't allow this to happen. If we fall further behind, we're not coming back. That is just a fact. It's not going to happen because our guy cannot do it. And I think if your players think that, if not subconsciously, then you are in a very bad place as a coach as well because then you do get players-only meetings where whatever was said. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what happened there. Did you get any information? No, about that? I mean it's it's everybody is leaving it up to interpretation. Yeah. We want JT. Hey, let's get in the right place. Whatever it might be, but at the same time though, too, Chuck, it is a situation where it's just kind of like everybody is looking at Kirby, saying, "Are you really going to die on this hill because you're too stubborn to?" make a choice in terms of going against what you wanted to say was, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. Guess what? Three times now, the guy on the other sideline who is your mentor and the guy who made you who you are as a coach decided this isn't working. I can't win with this. I said it to somebody the other day. I said, I don't know if JT can win a title, but I have a good idea that if you're in a situation like you were on Saturday with number 13 on the field, you ain't doing it. But the other guy, maybe, and sometimes maybe is enough for me to say, hey, I'm going to ride with that guy and give him a shot because, Chuck, you pulled this guy last year for this very reason. He looked the exact same way in the second half against that very team. In 2018, Nick Saban said, I got the SEC player of the year on my sideline. He ain't getting it done. We're not winning this football game if I keep him in there. I'm going to roll the dice, and I'm going to go with maybe. You know, it surprises me because I, there were you get reports sometimes about JT taking you know reps with the first team and all that, and so then he doesn't play. Was it against Florida? He didn't play at all. No, he okay. Had, he, and he, he hasn't played of consequence since Vanderbilt. And he had, and that was twenty-eight or thirty-five to nothing at the end of the first quarter. They pulled him, yeah, after the first. So um, after that Florida game, I remember being asked about, well, maybe he's hurt. I was like, no, because he was taking reps with the first team. And if somebody's hurt and they may not play because they're hurt, you don't give reps to somebody that you don't think you're going to have on Saturday. I also heard, well, maybe it's discipline. Maybe he's been late or a sour attitude. I was like, you don't give first team reps to a guy who is a discipline issue. You just don't. That's the one thing you do during the week. Here's the thing that I want to ask Kirby Smart, because after Saturday's game, he said, I believe in Stetson. I believe in JT, too. But then he's asked on Sunday, Did you have any conversation about possibly putting JT in the game? No, we did not have that conversation. Do you really believe in that guy then? Because then you're telling me the following day that you had no consideration that he was even going to be on the field? I'm sorry. I'm starting to believe that that's not the case. Unless my quarterback is the Heisman winner, if I'm down 21, weren't they down 21 after the pick six? If I'm down 21 and it's because of a pick six, unless I have the Heisman winner... I think no matter who you are, you're talking about the backup quarterback. I think. I would. All right, we need three scores. We got a gunner over here. 
And our guy just threw a... All right, well, go give it a shot then. See what you can do. I think anybody would have. Didn't happen. All right, wraps it up on a Tuesday. I appreciate everybody getting in. Give me 22 hours. I will recharge the batteries. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk college football on the Chuck Oliver Show.